a really good thing that one of my sports psychs said to me. He was like, if you're nothing without the medal, you'll be nothing with it. Welcome to Sauce Talk, a podcast exploring how sports and meditation can relate to a well-lived life. This is Billy Hansen. And to start the podcast, I want to talk about an idea from the book, The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford. Mumford was the mindfulness meditation coach for the Bulls and the Lakers when they were winning all of their championships in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was hired by Phil Jackson. And he's probably the most acclaimed voice on these topics on how a meditation practice and mindfulness can relate directly to athletic performance and finding peak performance in general. So one of the topics that Mumford teaches is the difference between right effort and wrong effort in sports and in everything else. I think that these teachings rely relate directly to success in business or creative work or success in cultivating a happy family or a happy relationship. And to teach this, he uses an example from Greek mythology. So Sisyphus in Greek mythology was a king who was very intelligent and he was twice able to deceive the gods and to avoid death. And the third time that he died, Zeus condemns him to an eternity in the underworld with Hades, where he is condemned to push a boulder up a mountain with the expectation that if he ever got the boulder up the mountain, that he would be free. But no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much he struggles and grits his teeth and pushes, the boulder always ends up rolling back down. So he's stuck in this eternal struggle in hell. And so here's what Mumford writes in his book, The Mindful Athlete, relating this point. The myth of Sisyphus has been interpreted in many ways, but for our purpose, let's just say that Sisyphus is exerting wrong effort. He represents that part of our nature that's conditioned to believe that life is a grind and that to win, we have to fight our way to the top, focus on the destination and not the journey, and swim hard upstream against the current, even if that current loops us back through the same unending cycle of stress. Sisyphus lives in the land of extremes. In mainstream sports, this is essentially the familiar archetype of the forceful gladiator who must crush the opponent and win at all costs in an us-against-them world of high-stakes combat. Anger and or fear are what motivate action. There is either victory or failure, triumph or defeat. I think this is the most important concept that I took from Mumford's work and what my sports psychologist instilled to me as she was teaching me how to meditate, was that my intentions towards my training and my performance mattered more than the result. And so this was a crucial shift in my training in basketball. It was when I went from this attitude that I had become so accustomed to growing up in mainstream sports culture, which was whenever I lose any confidence or I feel insecure on the court or I'm doubting myself, the only thing that I need is just more fucking reps. I just need to go to the gym more. I just need to grit my teeth and push and conquer my competition around me. And this seemed to work for me for a long time. And that I think is one of the uh, downsides of, of growing up talented in a small town because I could always lean on my talent and my ability to outwork everyone to have success. But when I got to college and I was facing people who were just as good or better than me, I could know and who had extreme work ethics just like I did, I couldn't rely on this anymore. And I, the more that I gritted my teeth and I got pissed at myself and I listened to pump up music and I tried to push myself to victory, the worse it became. And that ultimately cultivated in my somewhat of a mental collapse as a sophomore. So as I recovered, I started treating, I started to try to collapse the boundaries between my meditation practice and my training in basketball. So when I went to the gym to shoot, I was paying just as much or more attention to how my mind felt as I shot as I was to the ball going in and out. Rather than judging misses as great and feeling great about a streak of makes or punting the ball across the gym when I miss uh, too many shots, it was trying to stay on the tightrope of what Mumford calls right effort, which is clear focused awareness and effort 
without um, without being pushed into extreme conquering mindset and also not falling into a kind of laziness and lack of mental clarity. So here's what on the next page Mumford writes in contrast to wrong effort. Contrast this to the idea of the spiritual warrior, epitomized by Bruce Lee and other martial artists who have mastered the art of fighting without fighting. These mindful athletes use their intuition in the present moment to cultivate a connection to the zone, always focused on the journey, not the destination. In consciously going with the flow, emphasis on the word consciously, the spiritual warrior goes farther with less effort. As Bruce Lee put it, the less effort, the faster and more powerful you'll be. Now, obviously, this requires a bit of common sense because by less effort, Bruce Lee does not mean, you know, sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. That's obviously not going to help. But my understanding of what Bruce Lee is trying to say there is that less effort means you're still giving full attention and full energy to what you're doing, but you're not attached to the outcome. You're not trying to make it happen in the traditional sense. You are giving full focus to what you're doing and then letting it happen on its own. And this is a controversial thing in sports because I think that many athletes rely on this conquering attitude. But for me, and I think for many other athletes, this can become counterproductive, especially as you climb the ranks of the sports hierarchy. So with that, let's get to the podcast. Today's episode is with Rachel McCann. Rachel is part of the New Zealand National Women's Field Hockey Team, a team that qualified for the Olympic Games in Tokyo, which was supposed to take place this summer, but it got pushed to the summer of 2021 due to the coronavirus. So Rachel is training for the Olympic Games, and she's also very interested and passionate about how mindfulness meditation relates to both athletic performance and the enjoyment of sports. Rachel has her own website and company, which is called The Happy Athlete, and she also has a podcast by the same name. I've read many of her blog posts and listened to her podcast, and it's awesome. She interviews other Olympians and talks about what it's like to be an athlete and mental health as it relates to athletics. And so I reached out to Rachel to see if she'd like to be a guest here, and she agreed, and we talked about all of our mutual interests. And when we ended the podcast, we actually continued to speak off air for a while, for probably 10 minutes, and I listened to that. I I kept the audio rolling, and I listened to that part, and I actually really enjoyed that part of the conversation too. So I decided to just include it in the audio today. So when we say goodbye, it's not really goodbye the first time, so you can keep listening. Anyway, I linked to all of Rachel's work in the show notes to this episode, and it was a pleasure talking to her on the podcast. So without further delay, here is Rachel McCann. I'm here with Rachel McCann. Rachel, thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Billy. Yeah. So, you, I was, as I've been wading into this space, I was poking around the internet and I found your website, which I thought was really cool. You have a really cool aesthetic and reading some of your blog and listening to some of your podcasts. And I quickly learned that you and I had similar interests. So, I just wanted to start by asking you. So, your, your website's called The Happy Athlete. And I wanted to start by asking how you became interested in what you're up to, and maybe you can describe a little bit about your work. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I came, I became involved in mindfulness because I I was going through a bit of a tough time in my own sports career, and um, I'd suffered a few injuries, and I just found that often my mind was getting pulled away from what I needed to be concentrating on, which was my hockey. Um, to the injury or how bad it would be or, you know, those ruminating thoughts. And one day it just got to kind of the tipping point and one of my good teammates, she put me onto this app called 10% Happier and um, I just sort of deep dove into it because when you get to those stages where, you know, you're not feeling too good, you're sort of grasping for anything that you can and I was at that stage. And so I threw myself into this app and I found George Mumford who was Mm. um you know the teacher of Kobe Bryant and Mm -hmm. um 
and I just didn't realize that there was this whole other mental side of um, sport. Like I knew, I knew how important it was, but I didn't know that you could train your mind in that way. Um, and so I just started taking his courses, listening to podcasts about mindfulness, um, yeah, just practicing um, some of the mental techniques and and it was very it was a slow burn to begin with. Um, and then as I became more involved in it, I just realized, man, this is the key to um, not only finding flow and having good performance, it's the key to enjoying um, my sport. And I'd probably, if I was really honest with myself, lost a little bit of the love for the game just through, you know, the grind of um, trying to be better and, and, and yeah. And so then I just, I felt like I had the, had found this magic tool, not that it's magic. It takes a lot of work, (laughs) but this tool that um, all athletes, I think should, all people should have access to. Um, And and yeah, and so I just, and then I went on to further my study. So I'd done a sports coaching um, graduate cert and my degree. And then I found positive psychology and mindfulness is a massive part of that. Mm. And so I just continued to learn about it. And um, over the last couple of years, I've been now trying to teach younger athletes about it. And, and more like, again, I, I'm just still learning about it and I'm on my journey as an athlete but I think it's a very powerful tool that we just don't know really how to um, tap into just now because it is quite new in its application to sport you know so yeah so that's kind of a bit of a background of how I found it nice nice and then how so you're what's your current standing as an athlete Um, you are playing field women's field hockey in New Zealand right yes yes so I um I've been in the New Zealand women's national team for the last or since 2014 um and since then I've played 67 games for Mm. um New Zealand Mm. um yeah but throughout that journey I've been in and out of the team and and when I was out of the team that's where I really um deep dove into mindfulness and I found it as a really effective tool because I became way more mindful about the things that I needed to train mm-hmm. and my process became a lot more mindful. Um, mm. Yeah, but now I've been for the last um, eight months back in the team and yeah, so now we're training for the Olympics, which unfortunately got postponed, but mm-hmm. yeah. So nice, nice. And so, now. <laughs> cool. Well, so what, in what ways do you think meditation has directly affected your game like how do you, do you feel differently differently on the field I um yeah I feel completely different so when I'm when I meditate and when my habits are really good around my mental training which I try and keep up but like anything sometimes you know it's you, right. you get busy and yeah but when I'm in a really good spot and I'm doing all the things that I know I need to be doing like meditation and listening to um, like teachers around the mindset. I just feel very calm and I feel composed when I'm on the field Mm. versus when I'm not so mindful. I realize that I go to anger and frustration quite quickly. Mm. And that was a massive learning for me about right effort and applying a consistent, consistently poised energy to any rep or any skill or any performance that I was doing and I think mindfulness really taught me that and like I said George Mumford just through listening to his resources he taught me about that you know like I found sometimes in the past when I hadn't done any of this mental training or meditation I would jump to um, frustration with myself when I couldn't nail a skill whereas Mm -hmm. now I just try and keep that same energy on the 600 rep as the first one you know because when you start an exercise you start developing a skill you know you're very you're just relaxed and you're you're going all good but then by the 100th or 200th rep and you and you're still not nailing it you know that's where that frustration is and for me flow doesn't come out of frustration so um yeah I think mindfulness has helped me be able to get into that flow state much easier both in training and in games nice nice yeah i love 
George Mumford's work, and he was I read his book, The Mindful Athlete, when I first yeah, discovered it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a must read. I loved. It sounds like that cha- one of the chapters. I don't remember what it's called, but he spoke about how many of us, and I certainly was this way, are trained growing up with a kind of conquering attitude. And when things get tough, you just kind of grit your teeth and push harder Mm. and try to, um, you know, dominate not only your opponent, but try to kind of coerce yourself into playing better. And that can only work for so long. And at at some point it becomes counterproductive. And so, yeah, like you said, having the, another mental uh, framework to Mm. deal with failure, frustration, or performance that's not meeting your own expectations was so crucial for me as well. Um, So do you, tell me a little bit about your current practice. Are you, so you're using the 10% Happier app. I've explored that a little bit. Do you do guided meditations with Mumford? Um, What is your current practice like? Yeah, I often just go back and do, so he has a performance section in that app, and I often just go back and do his meditations over and over again and I also love listening to his podcast um on that app because he Mm -hmm. talks a lot about like what he was speaking about in his book and I just find that like even for you know for like a year I would just before I would go to training I'd listen to the full podcast before I stepped out just as like mental reminders and cues Mm -hmm. about like the energy that I wanted to bring to the training you know my intention behind what I was trying to do Mm -hmm. um because for me, like I got very wrapped up in selection and like scoring goals and the, the outcome. And yeah. whenever I was really focused on the process and flow, that's where I played like my best hockey. And that's what I enjoy the most. So that his tool there was really helpful. Um, yeah, but I've been exploring lots of different apps and um, yeah, and just trying to find ones that I really enjoy or sometimes I just sit with a unguided timer and just sit for 20 30 minutes um nice usually in the morning but sometimes in the evening or yeah I like to finish my day also with just like a gratitude meditation even if it's just five minutes um just to like recenter and reset that's awesome very cool and do you do anything specific pre-game or pre-performance with meditation or any other mental techniques yeah, I often try and meditate. Well, I I meditate before games, and like I said, like for a long time, I just listened to that podcast over and over again, which <laughs> seems a bit stupid, but like it worked for me. So nice. you know, don't change something if it doesn't work. <laughs> if it works, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think like also just developing really core routines around other things. Um, you know, whether it's like music or. Um, what you do in the in the morning and trying not to make too many decisions on game day morning is probably another core thing that I try and do because yeah you want all your good decisions to be when you're out playing um yeah and so yeah just that decision fatigue you don't want too much of that I love that I think routines never heard it framed that way you don't want to make too many decisions on game day but I love that and that's I guess why the routine is so important and my favorite coach that I ever had really emphasized that about how you have to set up a, you know, it's not going to be perfect and life happens, but you really don't want to be letting the day hit you on a game day. You have to kind of command Mm. the day from the start. So that's, that's really great. Absolutely. And I think it takes a while to learn, like I know, like I'm 26 now, but it took me quite a long time to learn what I actually, um, what I actually liked before a game, you know, some people, mm-hmm. they like the rev up music or they like to be super interactive or they, and I thought I liked being super serious and super focused, but mm-hmm. what I actually need to just be now is relaxed and mm-hmm. calm and centered in order for me to play well. Um, so yeah. And just like coming back to my values of like enjoying it and being mindful, I think is really core cool for me. Like I said, as a younger athlete, I thought I've got to be serious in every single moment. <laughs> and it's just to use that mental energy to try and be serious when you're, you know, a bit of an extra, well, I'm extroverted kind of person. Yeah. It's actually not helpful, you know? So knowing yourself and knowing what works for you instead of just following what maybe like the captains do or the, you know, because everyone's different. Yeah, I love, that's a really great point. I love that because I noticed that too. There were certain of my teammates who, 
their pregame routine was to listen to really loud rap music and to pump themselves up. And I watched, you know, that was part of basketball culture. And so I used mm-hmm. to do that too. But especially when things were tough for me, I I noticed that that kind of energy would sort of push me over into mm-hmm. jittery tension, too much yeah. competition. Over-aroused. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, I'd always kind of find my own space with my coffee or tea and do my visualization and meditation kind of quietly and I I agree with you I I think um for me I I felt I feel I felt similar as a player in that kind of a relaxed more open awareness suited me better Mm -hmm. than too much intensity too much concentration and I I had kind of had to ramp myself down almost before games because I would be so nervous uh that's great Mm. um okay so you mentioned that yeah a meditation practice can be messy and that even for those of us who believe in it it can sometimes be a difficult thing to prioritize Mm -hmm. especially in an athlete i I think especially for an athlete who's has you know a bottomless a bottomless bottomless list of things that they could be training or productivity in different ways what would you suggest for an athlete who is interested in the practice but is having trouble starting and or maintaining a practice yeah, I think um, with the practice, it's good to know probably from the start that you're going to go through ebbs and flows. And I really found that, you know, like there'd be mm-hmm. flo- ebbs where I was absolutely engrossed in it. And then there were some where I just like the mental practice of sitting down was a real struggle. Um, but in saying that, I think it's about absolute continuity rather than intensity. It's a bit like if you go to train yourself at the gym, if you, you know, do one hardcore session one day a week, you know, it's not going to give you that much benefit. Whereas if you just go for continuity over, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to get the the gain. So it's like your physical training, it's got to be like that for your mental training as well. Um, so I think continuity is massively important. And if you can only sit for a minute to begin with, then that's cool. Mm. And then just... I, I know for me it just became like I wanted to sit for longer and I and I really enjoyed it and then I had some really amazing experiences in meditation so then that drives you to want to keep doing it and and keep going but um, it does take for everyone it takes a different amount of time I think to um, yeah, and that's the hard thing to see the benefits of it. And yeah. I guess in our modern world, we want to do something and see the benefits straight away. Whereas, like mindfulness and meditation, it's unfortunate that that doesn't happen straight away. Yeah. But if you keep applying that consistent energy to it, you just start to see things not just in your sports performance, but in your life, um, in your relationships. Things mm. just become a bit better and you you start responding rather than reacting to things and you can see patterns of how you think and mm. yeah so nice nice yeah that would probably be my advice just like continuity and sit at the same time every day if you can and at the moment i guess with um what the world's going through um routine is probably a really key thing for everyone so if yeah. you can get up in the morning and you know have your morning coffee do it a journaling and then sit for 10 minutes like that's gonna set you up for the whole day yeah um, really nicely i think yeah i love uh continuity over intensity i think that's a really good operating system to keep that's great and another question uh i have for you and this comes from my own experience i had a bit of confusion when I initially started meditating and, and noticing that I was improving, whatever improving means, I was just, like you said, enjoying mm. myself more on the meditation cushion or chair. And then I was trying to bring it with me to the court. I'm wondering how deliberate you are with being mindful in competition. Because I think that for some athletes, and this I fell into this trap a little bit too, it's almost like if you try to play the role of a mindful athlete during performance, then you can almost take yourself further away from the flow states that are what we all seek, which is peak performance and peak enjoyment of your sport. Mm -hmm. So do you have any thoughts on that about how to translate a meditation practice 
on the chair or on the cushion into competition? Is it something that you just practice, get the reps in off uh, off the field, and then let it unfold? Or are there different things that you do if your mind wanders away into frustration or whatever it is when you're playing? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I do. I think it's like it's like any skill, you know, that you might be you might be learning a drag or you might be learning how to shoot a free throw or whatever the skill is Mm -hmm. you do have to get a certain amount of reps in before you can do it when the pressure comes on or when you're under fatigue so I think for me knowing that I'd put the time in before I get out to performance is a really grounding thing for me and it allows me to to trust myself when I'm out there you know knowing that I've trained that ability to come back to the present moment or come back to my anchor, which is my breath, um, really helps me, especially when, you know, like I'll be making up a story about what the coach thinks or what Mm. my teammate thinks or, yeah, or just falling into that kind of self-criticism that I think a lot of athletes fall into quite easily. But I do try and be very mindful when I'm playing more so just around like if I do get into that self-criticism because I know that that's just not a productive place for me when I am performing but I think it's it's like anything like you're going to have little failures as you go you know you're going to have good games you're going to have games where you can feel flow really easily and then games where you just you couldn't buy flow if it you know hit you in the face but (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's an interesting one like how you do translate it off the cushion onto the court but I think it's just reps and time and then trust in yourself that you can do it and I think if you look at like the greats or the really or the people that I looked up to in sport you know it's like when they make a mistake they just it's the next thing you know they don't get wrapped up in that they just move on to the next thing and yeah. I think that's the skill that you're cultivating because you're never not going to have a perfect game where you don't make a mistake. Right. It's just how quickly you can get into that, um, you know, into that good mindset quicker. Nice. And yeah. I think meditation has allowed me to, to shorten that time, which has been really important. Nice. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, I experienced the exact same thing. That's really great. So you studied positive psychology. You did a master's. Is there anything, any other takeaways besides deliberate meditation, mindfulness practice that you took away from those studies that you've been relating to your own game or in teaching others? Yeah, so it was just, it was a diploma in positive psychology, but um, it was just around, and I think as I've grown as an athlete, looking at what's outside of hockey as well. I know Hmm. I got very, um, very, narrow focused into hockey and it being the everything and which I think like there's always this element of you need to be very focused as an athlete but um then when things like injuries come up or you know your form's not going great it becomes really hard to stay happy off the (laughs) off the field so I think positive psychology gave me a lot of tools to um ground myself and Rachel outside of hockey and Rachel inside of hockey. And I think like the core pillars of it is just looking at like positive emotion and whether you can um, elevate your state, you know, before you go onto the field because that allows you to have better success and, and positive relationships and just making sure that all the things around um, Rachel, the hockey player or whoever it is, whatever athlete is, is taken care of so that if you do have a good game or a bad game, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and for me, a massive part of my positive psychology is based around routines as well in terms of like making sure I do my gratitude, making sure that like I journal and get it, get my thoughts out of my head and then mindfulness is also the other core pillar that allows me to be happy mm. Um yeah, and balanced and centered off the field so that when I get on the field, I can just try and express myself. And I'm, and I'm 100% that doesn't happen all the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would be absolutely talking through my ass if I said that it does. But, um, yeah, it just, 
I can do it more often now when everything else is taken care of. Yeah, that's that's really that's really good advice. I it's amazing how the similarities that I pick up between your experience and mine. I I remember when my college basketball career kind of collapsed. It became it finally became evident of that I had been it was kind of like I was an investor who had put all of his money into one stock and then mm. as soon I had my whole identity was wrapped around being a a successful basketball player and when that collapsed, I felt lost. And I think that's part of why I dealt with such, you know, with depression and other mental issues is because mm. I had to kind of create a whole new identity for myself. And in some ways, I'm grateful that that happened because paradoxically grateful because it forced me to start actually paying attention to my classes and develop other interests. Because if, like you said, yeah, if you, if you if I no longer can lean on that idea or concept in my mind, I just didn't have anything grounding me anymore. And then when I did mm. recover, finally, it, I, I did feel a little bit more like what you described, where I want to have a good game and I want to win, but it's not my whole identity and life isn't wrapped up in it necessarily. Mm. And I noticed yeah, that. And it's, yeah. yeah, and that's controversial. You know, like some mm. people will will say, that's not how you should be. Some people should say, like, yep, you have to be 100% focused and champions yeah. don't have balance. And, and you know, and, and that's fair. Um, but I also think that, like, you've got to be happy and you've got to be enjoying what you're doing, I think. Like, yeah. and when you go, get to a point where you're not, that's when you start to learn <laughs> that <laughs> you have to look after those other things um, in your life. And, and a, a really good thing that one of my sports psychs said to me, he was like, if you're nothing without the medal, you'll be nothing with it. And mm. so that hit home really hard for me. Cause I guess for the last, you know, before in 2016, I was training to make the Olympic team to go to the Olympics and that dream didn't happen. Mm. But he, you know, he said that to me in 2017 and it took me a couple of years to really understand what he meant about that and I guess it comes back to like are you enough mm. you know as yourself and then I think you start to play from quite a powerful place as an athlete when you know you're enough whether you make the shot or not don't make the shot you know it's just yeah yeah but that, sorry that was a bit of a ramble on, no but. <laughs> no that, that was really beautiful I love that I and I think I don't know if you've experienced this I'm not sure if the cultures are similar but in the U.S. and in the basketball culture there are deep incentives to take the sport you're playing as the paramount part of your life. Mm -hmm. And there are coaches who are competing for their job security. And so they have an incentive to drain every ounce of value out of their players and to keep the team together and to keep you training all the time. And then, yeah, I mean, we all, all of us looked towards the NBA players and wanted to be them and wanted to do that. And so, it's really easy to get wrapped up in that basing your self-worth on the self-imposed goals and expectations that you set on yourself. And, um, I love that. Uh, if you're, how did you put it? You're, if you're nothing, if without, you're the nothing medal, yeah. without the middle, you won't be anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's really great. So mm. why don't we zero in a little bit more on the present moment? So you are again training to, hopefully compete in the upcoming Olympics in Japan. Is that right? Yes. Yep. 2021 now. Okay. And it <laughs> got, it got, <laughs> yeah, it got bumped a year back. So how are you dealing with life in a, essentially a quarantine? I guess you can, well, first of all, how's it, how, let's just let the listeners know and the U S listeners, how's it going in New Zealand with the coronavirus stuff? Yeah, it's um, the country's on full lockdown at the moment. So mm. we've had two weeks of lockdown and we've got another two weeks. Mm. Um, and so I guess for us, that was two and a half weeks ago, we stopped any team turf training. Mm. And like for a week there before we knew the lockdown was happening, it was quite a stressful time because there was a lot of athletes scrambling to get gym equipment. You know, we could kind of see that the lockdown was going to happen because it had happened in other countries around the world. Mm. Um so that was quite that was quite a stressful time, but then when yeah the Olympics was announced that it was going to be postponed, it was almost a little bit of 
relief because mm. you kind of had, right, oh, okay, I've got a bit of breathing room mm. because, you know, it was only going to be a couple of months away. Um, and when you can't train for an Olympics, it's, <laughs> it's relatively <laughs> stressful as an athlete. Um, yeah. Yeah. But at the moment, we're still just locked down. So our program's gone to like a full conditioning kind of block where we're just running and gymming and okay. yeah, doing what we can with whatever we have okay at our disposal yeah okay and your national team qualified <clears throat> correct me if i'm wrong your national team qualified for the olympics and you are trying to earn a spot on that team is that right yes yeah so okay. we have 25 in our squad and 16 go to the games oh, okay how is um how are you adjusting to this you said it was a bit of a relief i guess there are probably other athletes who will listen to this who have either had their seasons canceled or postponed or things are changing. Mm. Um, how are you dealing with this uncertainty and change, uh, whether it's from a mindful perspective or, or a practical one? Yeah, I think it's like it's tough and acknowledging that it's tough is quite a key component of, of this. You know, the uncertainty of like whether, when you're going to be able to go out and play your sport again. Also, like there could be bigger issues for people as well, you know, like, and trying to have that perspective of like, at the moment, it's just a lot bigger than sport and any one person. Um, Yeah. But for me, I just, I try and stick to my routines. um, And it's actually been really great because I think when you're preparing for an Olympics, which we were doing um, until they got postponed, you know, everything's heightened, everything's ramped up because, well, you've got the Olympics and being able to use this time now to kind of reflect back and go, right, well, what were they doing? What would I actually do differently? Because now I have another year and four months to adjust and make changes on what I actually think could prepare me better for the game. So using this time to reflect Mm. and um, like my mindfulness, it's been great. I've been able to sit down for 20 minutes twice a day, most days, which has been great because probably on reflection that was a learning that I had was that you know my mental training was starting to slip as the physical Mm. training became really intense um you know and like meetings and game analysis and all that stuff that goes around it um was just becoming super intense so I guess your mental training sometimes the first thing to go because it can because it's not in a formal team meeting yeah, no, um, no one's gonna so, watch. No one's gonna notice you not sit down and, and meditate. That, that's what's tough. Exactly, <laughs> um, but that was a good reflection that I had. That that just you know for prepping for the Olympics next year, it needs to be at the forefront for me because it just makes me feel so much better and so much more in control of life and yeah, yeah. everything. Nice. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I look forward to following you from afar and seeing whenever the olympics happen uh how yeah you, do, you can so. you, you can try spot out uh someone in the new zealand team called mccann okay. <laughs> nice nice so one of a couple more ideas i wanted to dive into i read a couple of few of your blog posts which i love i'm going to read a, a quote of yours from this you wrote vulnerability is hard it is uncomfortable and it is damn scary at times but it is also the key skill that enables bold performances to take the game-winning shot, there has to be an element of vulnerability. In acknowledging our vulnerabilities and choosing to move forward, move sorry, move toward them with non-judgmental, mindful approach, we pave the way for happier and braver performances. And this is something that I couldn't agree more with. I, I, I noticed this in myself in playing and just in life in general that the in order to have the like you put it the brave performances or the you know even to live with love and openness and um freedom and friendship it comes with the vulnerability of heartbreak or embarrassment or failure Mm -hmm. and so i was late to the game in i had heard people i'd even heard my local meditation teacher talk to me about vulnerability as being something that's so important but I was slow to appreciate how wise that is and how cultivating vulnerability is can be such a powerful thing and such a scary and difficult thing. Do you have any more thoughts on vulnerability in athletics or in life in general? Yeah, I think um, it's 
vulnerability is incredibly hard to do um and but it does pave the way for very brave performances like you've I think I, I even listen to like I listen to a lot of Kobe Bryant and I I loved his mentality on how he approached mm. the game mm-hmm. and you know like one of the things he he was in this video and he just said you miss a shot who cares you know like but it's hard to it's to take the shot as being vulnerable because like you said I think embarrassment is like a huge one you know you don't want to take the game winning shot if you're gonna miss but I think that's where like that's what you should be striving to try and do because that's where the excitement is and that's where um, the unknown is. And I think that was a really big teaching that I learned from George Mumford. It's like being open to the unknown and unfolding moment. So just as much as you can tell yourself that something bad's going to happen or you're going to miss the trap or you're going to miss the shot or whatever, something good could happen as well, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's just as much chance as that happening. But we often, with the negative bias, get pulled into something could be bad. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I think about, like, the leaders that I've had and, like, even the other week, we, um, one of our really experienced players, she just, like, opened up in one of our team meetings and just talked about an injury that she'd had. And it was incredible how... Um, after that people actually started to dive deep into what they were feeling and express their emotions whereas before that probably you know it was a lot more surface like oh yeah I'm going all right yeah I'm fine yeah and then once she showed that little bit of vulnerability and and really opened up to the group everyone just followed that lead so Mm. I think it's it's contagious like vulnerability is contagious and it's where you build deeper connections and I think it's where you yeah, where you just have better performances and more authentic and brave performances. Yeah. Um, both in your life and in, you know, your sport. Yeah, I love that. Well, you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yeah, hit me with them. All right. <laughs> Which coach has had the most positive impact impact on your life and what about them did you appreciate? Yes, I've had like a number of really great coaches. Um, Alex Feustel, who's the who used to be the national um, German women's German coach, he came to New Zealand and I trained with him for a year and a half when I was dro- dropped out of the national team. Mm. And this was like a pretty tough time for me, like when you're not. I'd lost funding, I'd lost um, my gym facilities, all that, and he he just he made it really simple around my skills and just becoming better and always focusing on what you can do to become a better athlete. And I think like sometimes, you know, if you get dropped or you don't get selected or you don't get good game time, you kind of like victimize yourself. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking a little bit from experience, but also like yeah. I've seen it as both an athlete and a coach, people do it. And again, that links back to the ego. Mm. Um, but he just always had me focusing on what I could control. And he also like took the time to really get to know me as a person. And he used my strengths, um, to enhance my game instead of like looking at the things that I, that I had weaknesses in. He just only focused on my, well, not only, but he focused on my strengths Mm. and, yeah, and he also trained me mentally. Like he would put me into situations where I um, had to bring myself back to the present moment, you know. Like he'd say, he'd just do little things like um, this shot is your Olympic shot and if you miss it, like you're no good. But like we had the complete trust in each other that he could say whatever he wanted to me and it, it wouldn't have mattered because I knew that he, yeah, he really cared for me. Um, nice. and so he'd just do like little mental challenges with me like that. So I think for me, the part of his coaching that was so effective is that he, like we would sit, you know, for coffee for hours and just talk. Hmm. And so he knew me as a person. And so then whenever I would get tripped up mentally or physically in what we were doing in training, he knew how to get the best out of me. Hmm. Um, or flip it so that it was a challenge or yeah sorry that was a little bit wordy no 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 it's all great there were a few different things in there but he was yeah but he's back in Germany now but 
yeah, he had a massive impact on me at a time where I was probably struggling with a little bit of self-belief and, you know, I wasn't getting outside um, the the affirmation from outside, you know, I, did, I wasn't getting selected. Um, yeah. So it was, it was really important for me to have someone that supported me like that at that time. Nice. That was great. Which, well, now that we've, uh, we've already shared our mutual admiration for Mumford. So besides the mindful athlete, is there a book that you think all athletes should read? Um, at the moment I'm reading Brene, Brene Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rising strong. Oh, cool. And it's, yeah, I think it's, I enjoy a lot of her work, but that her stuff around vulnerability and like rumbling with your, you know, the story that you're telling yourself. Um, yeah, it's just really good. I really enjoy her work. So that would be definitely a recommendation for any athlete that's out there. Nice. Yeah. To try and... I actually just discovered her weirdly. Um, she was on the Tim Ferriss podcast, which I listened to. I loved that interview. So I'll have to check out her work. That's great. Um, what? see how I can frame this. What, what do you think is a bad idea or piece of advice that is prominent in sports or athletics? Or you could take uh, another part of this question could be like, what is an idea or belief that you had as an athlete that you think was mistaken that you've since changed? That's such a good question. I really like that question. Um, I think a trap that we fall into, it's not necessarily advice, but a trap that we fall into is believing what other people that are maybe in a position of power over us Mm. um, believe or put onto us and then taking that and nursing it and rehearsing it and saying that that's that's me. Um, Mm. And an example that I'd probably give is like a lot of, Coaches would say, oh, I'm, you're not fast enough. Like, you're just not quick enough, blah, blah, blah. And like I go back to um, working with Alex, he saw that my hands were quicker than most players. Hmm. And I could read people's feet and I could read distances really well. And so he would train me with that strength instead of just repeating to me, oh, you're not fast enough. He, he would say, you're fast enough to do what you need to do. And so for for me, I think it's important that it's important to listen to your coaches, but also to sometimes challenge that way of thinking and don't let them put don't, don't let them bring your weakness to the forefront. Um, try and look at your strengths of how you can maybe combat that weakness. I think would be nice. Yeah, so nice. it's not really advice, but it's just yeah, it's looking at your strength. Yeah. And how you can, yeah, you know, like if you're not a good free throw, oh, sorry, that's a bad example, but can you relate that to basketball? Yeah. Anyway, no, you know? yeah. I actually, like, I, I wasn't quick. Uh, I was, I had slow feet on the court. And um, I, yeah, I think that uh, what your answer can probably apply as advice to coaches as much as it is to players. And that it's a, a flippant comment like that, like, oh, you're not fast enough. To, to the coach might just be, you know, you're just another one of the players and you're just making an observation, but that might hit the player in a way that is not going to bring the best out of them. So mm. it seems like the coach that you had in Germany, what was his name again? Alex Foistel. Yeah, yes. he'd, he'd come over to New Zealand. Okay, yeah, yeah so it so, seems like he had yeah. a better method for um, relating or for bringing out the best in you rather than just pointing out something that didn't really uh, cultivate your skill set. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and for, for younger athletes, I think it's important, like, say if you're not quick, mm-hmm. like, there's a certain amount of work that you can do to get quicker. I'm not saying that you can't, but, like, can you work on developing how you read the game or can you work on your um, stick work or you know, like things that come naturally to you. I think we all know like when you're playing or whatever, you'll have a natural tendency that you're just like, man, that's easy without even really thinking about it. And then there's some things that 
are really hard and you have to work really hard at. Yeah. Um, can you look at that thing that comes naturally and easily to you and turn it into the strength that absolutely, like, it almost negates the weakness? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Instead of trying to, like, you could put heaps of energy and heaps of time into that weakness and you just might not get the gains that if you looked at it from a different angle or a different perspective that you could, you could get early on in your career. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I It's... My the, my favorite coach that I've had was the coach that came in for my senior, my final season, and he did a very good job of putting me in a position to utilize my strengths. And so he, mm-hmm. in our this is going to get kind of nitty gritty basketball, but he stopped having any ball screen set for me, so I didn't have to handle the ball as much. And on defense, I'm not sh- I, he he never I don't think he'd admit this, but I think he ran. A special kind of defense that I could kind of hide on defense. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> but then, you know, on offense, I got to do what I was good at, which is shoot. And so he put me in a position mm-hmm. to, you know, you don't, if you do these three things, if you bring toughness and energy and leadership and you knock down shots, you're going to be in the, in the game. And that's simplifying my role and emphasizing my strengths really did help in cultivating confidence mm-hmm. as a senior. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's good coaching. Good coaching, yes. So how has a failure, I actually stole this from the Tim Ferriss podcast, so this is a citation. (laughs) How has a failure or apparent or an affair, let me start over. How has a failure or an apparent failure set set you up for a later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Hmm. I think my favorite failure, and it was the suckiest one as well, was when I got dropped. Mm. Um, because it led me to training with Alex, and it led me to challenging those um, inherent beliefs that I thought about myself. You know, and they were beliefs that I, um, I didn't even know I had. So I think, yeah. Getting and I, and I was dropped for quite a long period of time, probably for. So I made the team in 2015, and then in 2018 I got dropped. Uh, mm. Yeah, so I was dropped until last year, mm. and yeah, it was just it sucked, but it it was amazing for me to challenge myself of whether I could keep training and keep focused and. Mm take my mental game to the next level when I had no one watching me, you know, no one cared, no one, yeah. not, no one cared, but no one, there was no accountability other than the accountability of myself. And yeah. yeah and like I said, I'm way more mindful now I can critique my own game and hmm. I'm, you know, because I was making up my trainings. I didn't have anyone telling me what to do. Like Alex would come to the trainings and he'd be like, right, what are we working on? And I'd be like, right, we're doing this. Hmm. And it was very much like athlete driven, Mm. which I couldn't have done in a big team setting. Mm. Um, and so for like a year and a half, I was just like practicing goal shooting over and over and over again. And so now that's like one of my kind of strengths. Nice. So you think so, you, yeah. you made gains in that year and a half that you wouldn't have been able to make had you stayed on the team. That, do I have yeah. that correctly? Yeah. yeah. Nice. And yeah. So how does that work? But it sucked. Just, like yeah, it, yeah, it, of course. It was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun, but it, yeah, I definitely had to enjoy the process of it rather than the outcome because the outcome wasn't there. You know what I mean? Nice. Yeah, there can be something, uh, I call that like training in the dark when you're putting in a bunch of work without anyone there to see it. Yeah, nice. I really like that term. It's it's not a, it can be tough, like you said, to, to, because it's all intrinsically motivated, but that's also what makes it kind of beautiful is you're training for the training's sake and it's not because someone's there watching you or holding a stopwatch or it's just your own, yeah. it's kind of your own thing. So that's really great. Absolutely. And like what you said, like it's it's a beautiful thing. Like even so the end of last year for the Olympic qualifier, um, the coach had brought me in and I played in that. And like coming back for that, I think it was my yeah 65th cap, like it had taken me a year and a half, no, two, two and a half years to get it, my next cap from 64 to 65. And like getting that cap was one of the most, like I was, it was, I was so proud of it, you know? Because, sorry, sorry. I'm a little bit confused. 65th cap. What does that mean? 
sorry, like, um, you know how you get caps for playing for your country or like, Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe it's not the same in basketball. They probably don't count the number of games, but like in, Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of like nationals, there'll be like how many times you play for the country or, um, yeah. So basically it was just like the first game back after I'd been dropped was like the, one of the proudest moments that I've had in my career because the amount of work that went into like getting that cap Mm. was huge, you know? So I was like, I was standing there like listening to the national anthem, like tearing up a bit because I was just like, holy shit, there's been so much work put in for this moment of getting back into the team and getting to do what I'd love to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Rich, I love this conversation. Do you think, is there anything we missed? No, I think it's been a, it's been a good combo. I hope I've maybe provided a bit of insight and haven't rambled too much. No, no, it was really, really <laughs> great. And yeah, for all of anyone who's listening to my podcast, you, I could definitely think you'd like Rachel's podcast and her website and her work. So I will link to all of your work in the, um, oh, thank you in the, the notes to this episode. And, um, yeah, well, yeah, thank you very much for doing this. It's been really cool talking to you, and I hope that you stay safe and sane during the quarantine. And um, look, Yeah, look, same look, to you. <laughs> yeah, look forward to keeping in contact and hopefully get to watch you play in Japan before long. That'd be awesome. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. You got it. All right, take care. Okay, well, thank you for, for doing that. That was, that was really, really good. I, I thought that went really well, so thank you. Yeah. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's it's cool to be able to talk um, about this sort of stuff with someone else who gets it and is really passionate about yeah. like deep diving into it. You know, like there are yeah yeah so yeah. Cool. I got to, I got to go into some of the nuances of mindfulness as it relates to sports in a way that I haven't been able to yet, and that's uh, that was really really cool. Oh, nice. I think I think it'll be a cool episode to put out and. Um, yeah, no, I uh, encourage you to, to keep up all the work you're doing because I think it's really important yeah. as, as you've experienced it. A lot of athletes who aren't as happy as they could be. And so I think that this, yeah. I expect this stuff to get more popular as, as we go along. Yeah, I really um, I liked what you were saying about how you could relate it to the American system around like basketball and like coaches wanting people to do that and like I didn't say this and in, in that but I think there's a real responsibility on them as well that if that's the focus then like yeah I don't know you've got to be responsible for the athlete if it doesn't doesn't go well because you know like you said if the identity's wrapped into it yeah you're you're creating a, a situation where the drop is big <laughs> yeah and like yeah yeah and sports should be in service of a good life and if sports are making you miserable then what's the point right yeah um what's um what's your kind of goal for what you're doing you know um, the space that you're operating in so i I don't know if i mentioned that i'm i have a day job of just data science nerd stuff but i find myself much more excited to work on this stuff so i don't really know i mean i i work with athletes I teach meditation to athletes in Denver and so I'm sort of just keeping it open and just kind of mm-hmm. writing and recording and seeing what opportunities come. I I think ultimately I would love to have this be um what I do for work, but for now I, there's no way to really monetize it um yeah. enough and I also don't want to rush into that. So really just kind of exploring, making mistakes, seeing what works, seeing what people resonate with and what they don't. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't have a clear answer for you on that, but how about you? What are you, what are you, yeah. what are your plans? Well, no, I'm, I'm probably in a similar kind of, um, space as you. I'm not really sure. Like even last night, I just, I went onto my website and I was like, right, I want, I'm going to streamline this because it was very broad across like all things positive psychology. Mm. And I was just like, right, I just want this to be mindfulness for athletes. And I think I'm going to look into like studying of how to um, like teach meditation and like, like you said, what resonates, what works, what doesn't like figuring out the best way to like deliver a program, I think is probably in the, in the future, but yeah, probably similar wavelength to you. I'm just sort of talking to people talking to other athletes, um, 
creating just like a little bit of a buzz around mindfulness and trying mm. to get people to engage in it cool. from like a bit of an authentic way rather than being like, you should go do mindfulness. It's just like, you yeah, could yeah. do There's this if the... you wanted to, you know? Yeah, I love your approach with that too. I've noticed that you have a there's so much like cheesiness and overhype going on in this space that's kind of turning people off, I think, where you, you can like mm-hmm. oversell it. And I really like that you point out that it's it's hard and it takes work to, in order for it to work. Mm-hmm. And it's not, cause I think a lot of athletes sit down and they expect it to be like a drug experience where you're totally calm. And <laughs> it's just obviously, it's <laughs> yeah. not, not it. Um, I know. And sometimes it's even like when you're going through a tough time as an athlete, that's when you don't want to sit and yeah. sit with your thoughts but that's when it's like the most important because it's yeah. just a way more efficient way to work yeah. through them absolutely but like i said like i don't do that all the time like i'm still learning and yeah yeah, yeah. it's still very much or, beginner to, days yeah. for me i think <laughs> yeah i used to do something especially early on like the ebbs and flows that you were talking about where i would um only like i would sit when i actually <clears throat> when i got in like a mental, like an anxiety spin out, that's when I'd be like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. now I need to meditate. And I liken that now, the analogy I use is like, it's like waiting to pull my hamstring before I practice the high jump. It's like, it's ridiculous. So like I, I try to- uh... <laughs> You need to go get on the hamstring curl before you- <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> go into the jump. Yeah. Oh, no, wicked. Well, let's just definitely stay connected then because it sounds like we're kind of in the same space and- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love that. Are you planning to sit, uh, have you sat any retreats? Are you planning to do that anytime? No, I haven't, but I want to. I definitely want to. Um, I guess just trying to find the time with our training schedule at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was in the lead up to the games. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but I think um, I'm also going to, like I said, try and study. What, what, um, do you think there's like a real benefit to going to the retreats because part of it kind of scares me <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then also yeah. i really want to do it because i think it would be great yeah no I, I think yeah it's definitely worth doing and it is scary and it is hard i uh my first one was really tough in the beginning especially just honestly for me i was surprised it was the physical pain that was the hardest for me just sitting all day yeah. but i also sat i think i sat at a retreat that <clears throat> i didn't do enough research beforehand i thought that Vipassana was Vipassana was Vipassana, but I ended up at like this very traditional hardcore Buddhist retreat where they, there was no walking meditation. It was very traditional and it was a good experience looking back, but the retreats that I've sat since then, which are, I don't are you familiar with Joseph Goldstein? Yeah. He's on the, yeah. he's on the app. So his, his, uh, I think he's on that 10%, 10% happier app, but he, yeah. his, um, the, the retreat center that he, um started back in like the 60s is really great and obviously it's in the u.s but something like that it's more of like the insight style and i think uh Mm. i think mumford trained at that retreat center when he was doing his intense practice so Mm. yeah no i think it is it is scary and difficult but definitely worth doing at some point i still think the daily practice is where the 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 fruits are unless you're going to become a monk but um yeah, doing that's kind of like a boot camp, and you can get into some pretty crazy states when you're meditating for twelve hours yeah, a day. Yeah, I can, I can yeah. only imagine. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, where did you learn how to teach meditation? Just out of interest. Yeah. So, not really formally at all. I mean, that's part of the reason why mm. I don't. I try not to to teach out of what I'm qualified to teach. I think I understand. Mm the basics of how to just start to know, like pay attention to your anchor. And then when your mind drifts away, come back. And then how I can talk about how that relates to being on the court. But Mm. I've also thought about doing a like mindfulness teacher training program, which I've been looking into some recently, actually, just so I can feel a little bit less like an imposter. Because obviously, as you know, there's a difference between doing it and teaching it. And you wouldn't want to Uh, yes screw someone up with bad instructions so yeah yeah no i think we're in pretty similar spaces but i think yeah i'm i'm the same like i want to learn more about the art of teaching it and um yeah at the moment i guess it kind of just serves just telling 
showing athletes the benefits of it in more of like a workshop setting, you know? Yeah. Um, but and yeah, I think there is some value. I think there is some value for someone like you or me who isn't an expert and has been through the shit playing mm-hmm. sports that, yeah. that I, I mean, I actually spoke to a college class this year. I was um, like a guest speaker and the professor told me that she had had like long, long time meditation teachers come in and they didn't quite resonate as well mm. because I was talking about things like partying and, you know, I was homework and all of the nitty gritty of being a college athlete or, or even just a college student. I think there is some value in not even being far enough down the path to be considered an expert and still sharing mm. what you know. But I also feel a lot of the imposter syndrome at times where I, yeah. I'm careful to tell everyone, like, I'd really just learning this myself so um, yeah well that was like the first thing that i said to you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. oh no cool cool awesome. all right well thank you again really cool that uh you took the time to do this and yeah i'll look forward to staying in touch as we uh as we keep going on the path it'll be great yeah beautiful cool thank you so much all right rachel take care okay. bye, bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, Sunday Sauce. Every Sunday, I'll send out a small piece of content that's related to the topics I'm researching and exploring on this podcast. It could be a quote or an image or a short video or a piece of my own writing. Just something small and digestible that I think is worth looking at. I'll also announce when new content comes out, so it's really the best way to stay up to date with what I'm doing. To subscribe, you can visit billyhansen.net forward slash sauce. You can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter, and those links are in the show notes. Other ways to support the show include leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, sharing with friends and family, or posting on social media. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.